My name is Tina Conrad, a.k.a. DJ Breast Cancer, and this is a podcast on journeys through cancer. It is also about those making a difference in the world of cancer. My mission is to inspire hope, help one person every day. Consider it a girlfriend's guide to breast cancer. It's where inspiration meets expectation, where reality meets dreams and dreams lost. It's about life after cancer and how other pink sisters can help you through. It's about sharing your story, your journey. Cancer is life-changing. Sharing our stories and creating dialogue about breast cancer realities and research can inspire hope and change. This podcast was created to inspire love, hope, and light in the darkness. This podcast is inspired by a shining light, my dear friend and pink sister, Sandy Clausen. She passed away in July of 2018 after a recurrence of breast cancer, and she never gave up fighting. Season three is dedicated to Lindsay Blythe, a mom of two beautiful young children and an Instagram friend of mine. She was full of light, hope, and love for others. She was an amazing mom and wife. I want to give names and faces and details to these women that have passed away from this horrible disease. Breast cancer is not a good kind of cancer. There is no good cancer. So let's talk about it. Welcome to DJ Breast Cancer Season 3. Hey there, everybody. It is Tina Conrad, a.k.a. DJ Breast Cancer. I am here, season three, episode nine, with a very, very special guest. Her name is Casey Metzkis. She and I met through the Breasties, actually, through the Indiana chapter of the Breasties. And she is just so fresh out of treatments, um, bright-eyed and back to work. (laughs) And uh, she traveled, actually, to be here in person with me. And we have brunch at the end of this that we are super excited. (laughs) excited about. But um, I'm just so excited to share her story and let you hear a little bit about her. So she was diagnosed um, in September of 2018, went through a whole, you know, form of treatments, which we will get into. And she's just here looking beautiful, her hair coming back (laughs) in. And I'm just so excited to share. So hello. Hi. Hi, guys. This is Casey. I am originally from Florida. My husband and I moved here almost two years ago in December. He is in the Navy and his job brought us because everyone asks me, why did you come to Indiana from Florida? (laughs) Everybody. Um, So he works at Notre Dame in the ROTC unit and I'm a nurse and I've been a nurse for almost four and a half years now, which has made my experience very interesting. Yes. Let's see. I, um, like your treatment. So, or, or I guess like the whole diagnosis, like, yes, did you notice okay. a change or like how, how did that all start? So I was doing my annual or my monthly exams and I was just feeling around and I've always had kind of lumpy breast tissue, but for whatever reason this month it was, I had found a larger area um, basically of, of a lump. And, um, I said, you know, I, I was just about to start my period. So I was like, okay, well, sometimes this happens right before your period starts. So I'm going to wait. So I waited just a week. 
um, after my period had ended and it was still there and it had not changed. So at that point I was like, okay, I need, I need to go get checked out. So I went to my primary care and she felt around and she said, okay, yep, I definitely feel something there. I'm going to have you go get an ultrasound and a mammogram. And that was in August. So September I went and, um, I had the ultrasound first and they actually had a very difficult time finding the lump. I actually don't think they ever saw the lump on the ultrasound. Mm. Um, so at that point I got the mammogram and that was a very unpleasant experience being, you know, in my twenties and I was so scared, um, to have my (laughs) breasts basically compressed and in this uncomfortable situation for, you know, it was like a 15 minute thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so after that, they sat me down in a room with the um, radiologist who looks at the um, at the mammograms, and basically said, "Okay, well, there are some calcifications here, and it's kind of all over your right breast. Um, it's not really in one specific spot, which is kind of interesting because usually with a lump, it, it would be clustered in that lump, but it wasn't. It was all over." So they said it could be many things, the worst being breast cancer. And I, you know, I was thinking, that's not me. I don't have breast cancer. There's no way. I'm too young for it. There's no way. Doesn't run in the family. No. And um, so they said, okay, well, we're going to have to biopsy you just to make sure, which I'm okay with. I'm, you know, I'm, I would like to do everything to possibly, you know, figure out what this is. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a week later I went in for the biopsy and they biopsied two separate areas, um, one spot really close to the nipple and one actually pretty far away, almost like close to my chest wall. And um, that also was a miserable experience because it had to be done in the mammogram machine. Oh, wow. So I was getting this huge needle, you know, while I'm compressed in this machine and I, you know, I... I stayed strong during it. It was it was hard, but and it's scary. But um, I knew it had to be done. Uh, so biopsy was done, and then uh, a few weeks later, um, I get this phone call from my primary care, and um, she basically told me over the phone it's breast cancer, and I just my mom was there with me, and we just bawled together. Mm-hmm. And it was. It was a tough experience um, finding out that way because I wasn't necessarily wanting to find out by this primary care physician. Mm-hmm. I was hoping to have a sit down in person if it was this serious, uh, you know, if it was breast cancer, I'd want to be told in person. So um, that was tough. Um, so after that, it kind of, I had to jump into figuring out what was my route of treatment and I met with an oncologist I think that day I found out I had breast cancer I did not I didn't want to wait I wanted to know exactly what the plan was and I think that's a lot of the nurse in me I kind of just want to know what to expect so I met with the oncologist and she said okay um the next thing you need to be thinking about is is fertility and so at that point, um, she discussed some of my options. She said, you know, we can cross our fingers and hope your ovaries aren't affected, 
or you can get your eggs retrieved and you have your eggs harvested. And I said, okay, that sounds interesting. I should look into that because I am so young and my, mm-hmm. my husband and I, we have not had any children yet. And that's definitely something that we want. So, um, yeah, we went to uh, a doctor in actually here in Fort Wayne. So oh. I made many a trips. <laughs> <laughs> actually, every other day I would come wow. from um, Mishawaka and drive to Fort Wayne, which was two hours. Um, because they had to monitor my follicle growth. And for that, they'd have to do a ultrasound vaginally. And um, they'd have to check my estrogen levels and all that fun stuff. So um, that was, I think, a total of like 18 days. Wow. I was getting prepped for having my eggs retrieved. And what that entails is these ultrasounds every other day. And then I was giving myself... um, injections in my belly and I think at one point it was like three every day and then my lovely husband had to give me a what's called an HCG shot uh, the day before right in my booty (laughs) (laughs) gluteus Uh, maximus yeah and talking him through that was really fun (laughs) um he was a little I think he was more nervous than I was for him to actually give that to me but uh so after that um we found out that I had, I think I had a total of like 18 eggs oh, retrieved. Oh, that's great, yeah. But, um, you know, they we did embryos, so they, you know, um, fertilize them, and they just basically sit and they incubate and they grow. So after, I believe, a week, um, they had called me and said, okay, well, you have six that are progressing and growing and they have to get to this stage called what's called I think a blastocyst stage and it's like 160 cells plus um and then they'll freeze so they're like okay we have six that are approaching that so we'll call you in another week and we'll let you know how many um we're able to to freeze so at that point um they called me back and they said okay we have two two have made it to where we can freeze. So we're going to now test them and to make sure that they're normal cells and they don't have, you know, Down syndrome or any type of anomalies and things like that, which is so cool that they can do. Mm -hmm. So um, I think a week later after that, they called and they said only one was normal. So the other one was was called a mosaic cell and it was basically, it would have had a ton of anomalies and they don't transfer those because it's just unsafe. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you wouldn't have had a healthy baby, normal baby. It would have, they would they don't usually transfer those. So we have one and we call it our freezer baby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, he's hanging out, he or she is hanging out there um, until we're ready, which I guess is going to be a couple of years uh, from when I finish treatment. Okay. So. Wow. So. What a, what a whirlwind though. Yes. What a crazy, yes. crazy journey. Um uh, just backing up a little bit to getting that phone call, like you, you being a nurse and understanding like the medical system, I guess you could say, um, it, I just find that crazy that, you know, they did give you a call and it was weeks later and y- being your age, you probably had no idea like that this was the news that you were going to receive. Mm-hmm. And thankfully you were with your mom and someone who could kind of support you through this day in this call, right. you know, cause that's just like so crazy. Yes. But um, I, I mean, I got a phone call as well, but it was to the point, 
I had had a, I had the option of doing a needle biopsy or getting with a surgeon and given my mom's, you know, past and everything that she had been through, Mm -hmm. I opted to get with a surgeon from the get go just because of, you know, my history and it just made sense in my, in my case. So basically I ended up doing almost like a lumpectomy at my, you know, when they were removing it. And basically when I woke up, my doctor said, you need your mom's records. So even when I got the phone call, which was heartbreaking, you know, you don't forget where you're at, like one of those kind of moments. And I guess, and in my heart, I, I knew, you know, I still knew and like I had all this information, but, and, and so in that case, I guess in my, in my case, I didn't feel bad that they didn't tell me because I felt like all, all the information was leading to this, right. you know, point. And yeah. I was, you know, very scientific and, you know, an analytical kind of person, but I just can't believe in your case, getting that, you know, call and you're in your twenties and that's just heartbreaking to me. Yes, it was, it was. And the matter of how it actually happened, um, was really tough because I didn't love this primary care physician. Um, and being a nurse, I'm very critical of care. I really like optimum care and good quality care and she did not give that from day one and so when I actually got my biopsy I requested for the office who did the biopsy to tell me my results not for her to tell me my results Mm. but she took it upon herself anyways despite my wants and wishes to call me and um, if she would have said hey I'd like you to come in just to talk and I do have your results can you come in and we'll we'll talk about them. I think I would have I would have been okay with that. But since she had given me this phone call which is so impersonal and it's the way she delivered it to me, it was like, "Oh, it's not a big deal." Well, you have breast cancer is how she said it, and it's not it it's not it's a small area and it should be taken care of really easily and mm. like almost like it was not a big deal and it was a huge deal. You don't tell a 27-year-old that she has breast cancer over the phone in a mindless matter as as yes. of which she delivered it to me. So that was hard, and it took me a long time to get over that because I was angry at her, and I was angry that this has happened, and my life is changing. Yeah. So um, luckily my mom was there, and, and my husband, of course, was there as well. And so, you know, at that point, I... Couldn't I didn't want to focus on the delivery anymore. I just needed to focus on what the next steps were. Yeah, and I love that. I, I've always told people to, it's, there's some peace in knowing your plan, even if you don't necessarily agree with all parts of the plan, even if the plan changes, mm-hmm. there's some kind of peace of knowing, maybe it's just that little bit of control that you do have in knowing like what the next steps are. And I think, you know, I found a lot of, peace and solitude and just, okay, there's the plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to execute to the plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a peace of mind. It gives you like, you know, what's going to happen next most of the time, unless it changes, but I don't know. It made me feel better knowing what the, where the road's going to take me. So I know you went through chemo. Yes. Did you also have surgery? I did. Yes. November 1st, I had my mastectomy. So that's also approaching a year. Um, I had a double mastectomy and they said, you know, you could just have the one removed um, and keep the left for breastfeeding, which was was one of my concerns. Um, 
or you could have them both removed. And honestly, there wasn't really any um, testing saying like, you know, if you do both or if you do the one, like you're more apt to having it returned. So honestly, for my own sake, I just said, go ahead and just take them both. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was lucky enough to be able to go straight to implants um, and also have a nipple sparing procedure, which honestly, I think helped me a great deal with my body image Mm -hmm. and my healing process um, during this whole, you know, um, treatment. So I think I was able to, I don't know, heal a little bit better and have a more positive outlook, not only on my circumstance, but um, on my body image as well. Yeah, that's, that's so that's so great. And then I know you went into chemo. Yes. And that that's, t- I mean, for me, it was really tough. I know when we had lunch, you know, way back in like March, I, I know it was tough for you as well. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, your, your treatments for chemo and, and kind of what that looked like for you. Sure. So I actually didn't know I was going to be needing chemo um, until my biopsy of my lymph nodes came back mm-hmm. and of my whole breast tissue, actually. Um, originally, I was diagnosed with DCIS. And after my mastectomy was done, they said, oh, no, you have stage two. You It had broken out of the milk ducts into the tissue and into the blood and the lymph system. And one out of five lymph nodes came back with cancer cells. So that also was kind of like a, I was blindsided a little bit because I was expecting, oh, I'll just have this mastectomy and I will get to move on with my life. Mm -hmm. Nope, not the case. So um, I started chemo in December and the first one was a doozy because they give you basically like what's called a loading dose. So they give you a higher dose than what you're normally going to get. And um, that was really tough on me because I had just come um, off of all the hormones from the um, egg retrieval Mm -hmm. and that was really tough. So my hormones are going haywire and now my cells are going haywire because I'm basically pumping this toxin into my body. Was this adriamycin cytoxin that you had or the red devil one? Nope, nope, Nope. I never had the red devil. Mm -hmm. I had um, taxotere Mm -hmm. and carboplatin, I believe it's called, and then herceptin and progetta is what I, was my cocktail. (laughs) Cocktail of choice. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yes. Not really. (laughs) I wish it was a cocktail. (laughs) Uh, Preferably like a margarita or something. Um, So... After the first one, um, I was down for a couple of days. I would say a week total, I believe. I was really under the weather. Um, And boy, I was not, I wasn't expecting the nerve, like the neuropathy Mm -hmm. and the um, pounding in my head of my heartbeat because all my blood counts were low. I was, there was things I wouldn't, wasn't expecting because you think, oh yeah, losing the hair is the main thing. Um, and I didn't lose my hair for, I think it was two weeks it started falling out after my first treatment. And it, that was to the day is what my oncologist, my oncologist had said. It's 14 to 16 days is when you start noticing. And she was not kidding. It was mm-hmm. right that right then. And, um, it started thinning and I was, you know, as clumps of it was coming off in the shower. And I think I was most afraid out of this whole 
you know, all the whole treatment was my hair coming out was the thing I was most scared of. Not the mastectomy, not the fertility stuff. It was my hair coming out because that's just a part of your body image. It's just part of who you are. And I know it sounds weird to say, but um, I've always had this great head of hair. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I don't want to lose it. But um, New Year's Day, it was coming out and I said, all right, that's it. I'm, we're shaving it. We're just going for it. So we sat down at my kitchen table and my husband shaved it off. And my dad and my mom were there. And I just remember my dad looking at me and he's just starts smiling. And he's like, you look beautiful. So I get up from my chair and I, you know, have this breeze now over my scalp. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing there anymore. And I look in the mirror and I just remember looking at myself and thinking, damn, I look like a total badass. (laughs) I was not expecting that. I felt so much strength looking at myself in the mirror after losing my hair. I felt like G.I. Jane or Amazon Warrior Princess. I just felt strong in that I could actually do this. Oh, yeah. I love that. I loved my shaved head. Like I I went in, (laughs) I remember I went in, the night before Halloween and got mine shaved as well because they said it was coming, you know, and I was on AC and then I had Texas hair after that. And I just, for some reason, for me to have it shaved in a hair salon, I think we went to a sports clips, which is like crazy, but it was like (laughs) the only thing open after work that we like ran by. But it just felt normal to lose it in a place and see it on the floor, you know, of a hair salon. So for me, it felt like, okay, I I can, I can do this here. And I think they gave me a senior rate. Um, They felt really bad for my story. They should have given it to you for free. I know, I know. I was like, okay, senior rate, whatever. But um, so they did it and, and I actually really loved it. Like more than any, and then the pixie obviously coming back too. like that. It's just so empowering too but you know you put on some bold lipstick and some you know hoop earrings and girl you can rock that you rock that shaved head I mean I I really loved it it was like my favorite look for sure yes it's it's freeing in a sense because you know like I said your hair is part of you and it's part of your, your your look and your image and once you lose that it's like okay well now there's just you and yeah. it's your, and it's, you know, people don't focus on that as much and they focus on other things, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. I, I've, I know I've written a lot of things too, but your hair, it is, it's just this part of identity. And I think there's so much with cancer where you kind of feel like this thief of identity and the things you loved before are maybe now gone. And so it's kind of trying to like find out who you are in all of this mess, you know, and yeah. it, and it's, and it's tough and it takes it takes a while, you know, to get that. And, and it's so amazing too. I'm sitting across from you now and, you know, it's almost like six, six months later since when, when we first met mm-hmm. and like, you're so much, you're just so much more, even a different, stronger person than like when I met you then, because I think you're coming into your own and like, you know who you are now. And it's just cancer <laughs> changes you in a way that maybe you don't intend, but it's also can be a beautiful gift as well. Absolutely. So true. And thank you for saying that. I appreciate (laughs) it. I do feel stronger. I do. And, you know, I think looking for strength, I had to look at myself because I was away from my family. You know, my mom did come every treatment, every three weeks she came to see me, which was awesome. My dad came a couple of times. Um, 
But something that I battled with is, you know, I'm not near my family and I'm very close with them. I, I love them so much and, you know, we all just get along so well. But and being away from them during this really tough time, I had to, you know, go to my husband and to myself really mostly for my strength. And really, it's at the end of the day, it's on you and how you look at things and how you're going to um, take it as, you know, as it comes. So for me, I was like, all right, well, I cannot change what has happened to me. I just have to move on and I have to do better and I have to be better for myself and I can't just get down the dumps continuously. Yeah. Granted though, everybody has those days, which I feel like you have to feel those days. You yeah. have to have them. Not every day is going to be good. Um, but you can see the good, I guess, in every day. And it's so, so cliche, but you can. Mm-hmm. And everybody has this inner strength, no matter what they're going through, even despite it's breast cancer or, you know, a death or anything. Everybody has this strength in them. And I think, you know, it just takes sometimes really tough things for you to see it. Yeah, no, that's so true. And my family was far from me, too, which it's tough. Like, you're going through this really, really you know, crazy journey. And, you know, I, you know, I got the text, my mom came for the big thing. She came for a week for my surgery. She came for my first chemo, you know, so it was really important that they just kept showing me this love, you know, throughout the journey. But to your point, like you kind of feel sometimes like you're on this Island, like you're kind of handling this, you know, by yourself. And, and I know, you know, we chatted at lunch too, you know, like I was incredibly close with my husband and brought us closer, but then there's certain things too that I just felt like I needed from other people too. So like, like the support. And so I know for me, I reached out to a support group, you know, when I was in Chicago and, and found some, you know, some people that just helped give me some really great tips of like how to handle the chemo, Mm -hmm. different things to do. So what what did support or kind of finding that support system look like for you? To be convinced why I kind of had to be strong for myself. Um, I did try to seek out a support group and it only made me sadder because mm-hmm. it wasn't strictly breast cancer. It was all cancers. It was just a young survivors group. And one woman, I won't forget her, she this was her second her second um, diagnosis she I think it was some rare liver cancer is what she had and it had ended up coming back in three separate places mm-hmm. and she had three children and at this point she was like doing clinical trials and it was time left basically is what yeah. she had to focus on and I it made me so sad because I wasn't really thinking about that stuff mm-hmm. I was like okay well I'm I'm gonna move on after this and I don't have to think about reoccurrence, but her situation really made me upset and think about all these things that I wasn't thinking about before. So I actually haven't been back since, but the breasties Mm -hmm. on the other hand has connected me to you and and our friend Chastity. And that's been really helpful because it's breast cancer and it's something that you can relate to and Chastity can relate to. And I didn't have anyone to talk to, um, about what I was going through. And so having that outlet, it was really a game changer for me. And and it helped me even be more strong, you know, even with it being individually me. You know, I had, I had you know, you guys to reach out to and you guys to talk about the crazy stuff that we were all <laughs> going through, despite what, whatever it may be, you know, you guys were open to talk about it. So that was really helpful. Um, 
And then I did a lot of horseback riding. I love love to ride horses and I I would even just go because I couldn't ride for a while after my mastectomy because I couldn't lift the saddle or reach too high and you got to do a lot of that. Um, so I would just go visit the horse I was leasing Aww. at the time and I would just go pet her and give her treats and love on her and I immediately felt relief and felt calm. It almost was like a like not a meditation but just like it did that for me yeah. as some like as meditation would do for somebody else. And now I'm able to ride and it just feels amazing. And that also was super helpful in in, you know, moving on from what has happened. Not not necessarily moving on, but I don't know, giving me a chance to uh accept it, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know. No, that's so beautiful. And I said yeah. When we get together next time, I, I think I'm going to come to you and we're going to ride horses. Yes, <laughs> we got to do it. Have you ever been on a horse? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, okay, yes. great. I yes. love it. My neighbors growing up had them and like, you know, I couldn't go all, if I would have wanted to go all the time when I wanted to go, I would have been all the time, but like sure. I kind of had to go on their schedule. <laughs> yeah. But anytime they would like call or like say, hey, you want to come down and ride? I'd be like, yes, you know, Please. and then I've done it, you know, as an adult too. And then actually I had, um, cousins that had horses too so so yeah I grew up you know not really taking care of one or you know that level of you know intensity but you know taking advantage of any opportunity I could so (laughs) yeah and it's I feel like it's been so helpful for helpful for me I eventually would love to have like this and my husband you know knows this as well I've told him many times it's like my dream of mine to have this ranch that women with breast cancer could come to and just have like a retreat weekend where they can ride and just be with nature and just take this time to like focus on them and their healing. Mm. And cause it worked so well for me and I just, I would love to see it work for other people. I actually get like goosebumps just hearing your vision. Like I, yeah, we have to make this dream a reality. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Yeah. We chatted a lot, you know, that first day with, you know, the breasties meetup that we kind of had and Fort Wayne and and it was just interesting like our love of travel like really came out you know our love of family and just kind of the sense of purpose and how you know it's kind of changed us and I know Chastity she's you know not here today but I know she was like studying to be a nurse you mm-hmm. already were a nurse and it changed you kind of just in like terms of how you want to give care and how you maybe treat patients um so maybe talk a little bit about that just like how from a career perspective being a patient has now made you a better nurse. Sure. You know, I think with nursing, I think sometimes we get focused on on what the on just the patient and not looking them looking at them as like an actual human being and what they're going through. And I really noticed that a lot during <clears throat> excuse me, my um my treatment during um at my oncologist's office. And I think for me, I really am just more understanding and patient and kind. Um, <clears throat> I try not to let things frustrate me, um, like the little things. I'm at, I'm at, actually at a new job now. I was working in the NICU um, in Mother Baby, but now I'm working at a surgery center where a lot of people are going through um, pain. They have get, like pain injections. And I try to not get flustered about little things. Um, I try to really make sure that they're comfortable and know that I'm there to listen if they need to talk, even despite that they're only there for an hour. Um, I'm there if they need me, despite 
whatever their needs may be, even if it's just, you know, to hear them out. Yeah. And sometimes that's all people need too is just because sometimes people don't have even a person to go home to to like hear what their day or what they're going through, you know. So I I think nurse, I I mean, I had such an amazing staff where I got treatment um, at Advocate Hospital in Chicago suburbs. The nurses were just, I mean, the doctors were amazing, but the nurses were like the lifeblood, you know, like they truly are just such amazing individuals. And actually I'm like still friends with so many of them on Facebook, (laughs) which is like amazing that I can still have contact and have relationships. And I think in oncology too, it's like such a difficult job, you know, to, to administer that every day. And it takes a certain amount of strength and really takes a certain individual, you know, to, to go into that path or field. Yeah. It, I've always known ever since I was little, I've always known my mom was a nurse. So I saw her, you know, practicing. I had this life size Barbie and I remember it very clearly. She dressed it up in a gown and she put it in the bed and she was nursing it basically. And I was like, I want to do that. If I get to play with Barbies all day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as I grew up, I always found myself wanting to care for others. Um, my brother would fall and scrape his knee. I was there to help take care of him. Um, so I always have had that aspect of, about me. Um, and I think that, um, it's not necessarily made me a better nurse. Cause I think I was, I think I'm a very good nurse. I think I'm a great nurse, but I feel like it makes me understand what other others are going through. Cause I, I feel mm-hmm. like at some point you get so busy, you forget that why you're even there and that's to care for the patients despite whatever aspect that may be. And it might be physically, it might be like mentally, emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm kind of going towards those other outlets now, not just the physical part of it. That's interesting. Yeah. And I've had so much just in terms of mental health and we've even talked, you know, identity and all these different aspects that go into, you know, a person's mental health, but it's really, I feel where hospitals and our, whole medical system just in general is that's where they need to go next is more to like the whole person understanding that mental health aspect. I mean, when you get a cancer diagnosis, it's almost like you should be getting a therapist or, you know, someone's card at the same time. And maybe they, you know, explain to you, you might not need this like right away because I know everyone deals with things in different timelines, but at the same time too, understanding that a whole person is going through this diagnosis, not just the physical self. Right. Right. Yeah. I, um, too, like during my treatment, it's, it was so impersonal, like where I had my chemo done, uh, it was this huge room and I call it the chemo factory because it was yeah. a bunch of chairs in this huge, big empty room. And you and I were talking mm-hmm. cause you had a very different experience than I did. And you were able to have as many visitors. I was only able to have one person with me at a time. Wow. Which was hard because I had family in town. I had people, you know, I had neighbors who wanted to come with me. And I said, oh, sorry, I can only have one person with me. And I feel like you should be constantly surrounded. Yeah, with love. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and whatever that love looks like for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to fight really hard. And I know we had this conversation. I had to fight hard and fight like my nurse navigator had to fight on my behalf to get me into this non-chemo factory place. But yeah, uh-huh. it was a place that I just felt I needed in order to 
to progress. Like I just felt like I needed it. And I saw the one place and I was like, Oh no, no. Like I just, I just can't, you know? And then I saw the other place and I, I just knew that this was where I needed treatments. And so it's hard sometimes like when, you know, you're in quite a rural area and limited more to maybe your options, but there are other options, I think. And sometimes, you know, you're, you're in your twenties, you don't know what all the options even are, even mm-hmm. though you're in the medical field, this is all new territory to right. you. And so I think sometimes, um, you know, tapping into your nurse navigator, or if you don't feel good about a fit, about a doctor, about a nurse, about a facility, always kind of having that conversation of like, is there something else, you know, that I can do or, or seek out? Right. And I, I kind of wish I had more options and I feel like they should give you more options. Yeah. Um, it would have been way more helpful. And I feel like I maybe would have, I would have chosen to go somewhere else if I had the option to do so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just tough. Um, so we've chatted a little bit, you know, kind of leading into this being young with breast cancer. So I'm sure you've heard this time and time again, you know, even yourself probably told, told you I'm too. this can't be real. This is, I'm too young. You know, I, you you were in your twenties, you know, so what challenges I guess has being young with breast cancer posed to you? Um, or how did you kind of get through, I mean, it's your life. So like you have to deal with it no matter what age you are, but how did being young really make an impact on you? So I think, it's been hard because I just want to be normal. I want to live the normal life of a 20 something year old. Um, you know, having babies and getting married and, you know, having these worries that these people have, I have a very much different worry and that's basically of my life. You know, I, I, and you have this now fear of dying, which I never had before, but now that's there. I hate to say it, but it is. Um, And I kind of just, you know, I look at all my other friends and they're having babies and they are having these, you know, weddings and all these other things. I'm like, oh, I just, I want that. And I will get that. I just have to wait a little bit longer for it. But that's been a very hard part for me is seeing all that on, you know, social media and all that stuff. But how I deal with that is I always have to think, you know, not everyone's life is perfect and something someone always has something going on. Yeah. You know, no one's no one's perfect and people always have their own stuff in their life that may be affecting them. So I I try not to focus on on what I see on social media and all that stuff. (laughs) But um another thing is not having um a lot of people to talk to about it, um, who are my age and who are exactly going through, you know, exactly what I've have had to go through so that's been that's been tough and then being away from my family has been been hard as a young person because you just you want them there all the time yeah you know and I had just moved away from Jacksonville at that was a year I was I was gone and I had never left so I you know 26 years I was there and then I have had to face this awful monster of a you know diagnosis um on my own, which was t- difficult, and no young person should have to do that, unfortunately. But it is what it is, and I, you know, had to move. I had to move on, and I had to get done what I needed to get done mm-hmm. to get where I am now. It's such a such a strong story, and I know 
like the breasties has helped too. And I, and I, people sometimes if they're just being diagnosed too, I want them to know, like if you just hashtag the breasties, if you hashtag breast cancer, if you hashtag young breast cancer, um, Instagram is a very, I've found it to be a very supportive and great community of survivors. And I do think that if you are young and with breast cancer, um, there are some great resources. I think the Breasties is one of those great positive places. And, you know, they started, but they've now branched to pretty much like every state, it seems like. Right. Yeah. And so I just feel like there are meetups and there's options and they're really helping to facilitate um, and, and they're people in all different stages. So it's pre-vivers, it's survivors. Um, they, it's just a very all-inclusive group and I love that about them. Yeah, they, they've been really great. I, I always enjoy looking at their motivational stuff and they do have these you know big camps, which I have not yet to go to. I really I wanna go. We need to plan. We <laughs> should go to the next one. Yes. I think that it was in California, wasn't it? The most recent one. Yeah, and then they had one like in the Poconos, I think, oh, too. Yes. Yeah. All right, sign us up. We're going next time. Next year. <laughs> next year. 20, 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was already almost 2020. <laughs> oh, gracious. Yeah, so, so crazy. Um, by the time that this airs, it's going to be pretty close to October. Um, just wondering, like, what October means to you um, as a month, like, as a young survivor now, probably last month you were just in the midst of like, everything but now coming up on a year how how are you going to look at October what does that mean to you yeah because that's going to be a year out from you know my mastectomy and my diagnosis um honestly it's probably going to be very humbling to me because it just goes to show what a human being can accomplish despite these odds that that you're put up against not just me but anybody um and the strength that a person can have after a cancer diagnosis. Um, I'm going to look back to see how far I've come and realize, you know, yeah, I did not do it alone. I didn't. I, you know, I had family. I I did have friends and and I had you guys and the breasties. And um, I'm just going to probably be thankful that I'm here and able to still, you know, keep on keeping on, I guess. (laughs) And I'm excited for what the future holds. And I don't want to try to focus too much on the past. I know it's a big part of me. This is going to be a big part of who I am now because it's, I'm a new Casey. I'm not the same Casey I was, you know, Mm pre-diagnosis. So I think I'm just going to appreciate who I am now and everything I've been through. I love that. And I know, we chatted right, right when you got here that you've been working out now. So you've yes. been working out, yeah, like 10 days it's in a row. It's been really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten, I think, yeah, I've done day 10 or 11. And holy cow, um, my husband saw me walking around after the first day and I was so sore. So I was like waddling around and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I've just started working out after taking like a six months hiatus. <laughs> and, uh, were you doing strength training or what kind of it's, things? Um, it's called 21 Day Fix. So oh. it's kind of like a, it's a mixture between like low and high intensity workouts and each day is something different. So one day is like Pilates, one day is yoga, one day is like full body workouts, one day is cardio, which, oh God, <laughs> nobody likes cardio. Let's be honest. And 
Uh, I think day day one was cardio, so I was hurting so bad. But after a few days, I've noticed now I can do the moves better. I feel stronger, and that's so cool. Yeah, because you know I've been waiting to feel like that again. So. I'm glad that I'm like almost to the point where I feel semi physically uh, normal. (laughs) (laughs) Like you should, right? Yes. Like a normal 28 year old should. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I think that's one of the parts too, is like almost like building this trust with your body. And I just actually did a different podcast with a, with a guy who is a six time cancer survivor who like he, his story is just crazy and amazing too. But like it, it takes it takes some time to like kind of trust your body again. Like I, I I mean, I know I felt like, I don't want to say that it failed me, but it was kind of like, what are you doing to me? You know? And then I kind of had to let that part go. And now I really just marvel at all that it's, you know, uh, that it's able to do. And it's just kind of crazy sometimes. It is. Yeah. I, I would have never guessed that, you know, chemo which, you know, basically not only attacks cancer cells, but your healthy cells as well. And your body just bounces back after that. Yeah. And it can just go get stronger from here. You know, it's not like, and unfortunately, some people do have debilitating, you know, side effects after, but luckily I haven't. Um, and I feel like your body just deals with whatever you're throwing at it. And it's like, okay, I'm going to fix myself up and we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty marvelous, like what it does. It's just amazing. Yes, so, for sure. So I always have every guest give a Tina tip. So it's some form of advice that you would give to a person. Maybe they're newly diagnosed. Maybe they're in the midst of their chemo battles, but maybe they're trying to find out who they are after cancer. But what kind of Tina tip would you like to share with the listeners today? Well... To kind of touch back on the strength thing, because I feel like it's helped me a whole lot, is you are strong enough to beat this. And you, at one point, will look back and realize how strong you are and that you do have this strength to fight whatever life throws at you, despite it be cancer or whatever. You are strong enough. I love that. It's so beautiful. And I know we were chatting like when you got here too, that it's like so gradual sometimes too, that the healing is linear, like kind of, but not really too. Mm -hmm. But some points you look back and you're like, wow, I, I am a whole lot further. Like where, where did this come from? Like, I didn't even realize that now I'm feeling this much better. Like it's easier to wake up. It's easier to move. It's easier to do all these things. Because when you are in the midst of that battle, that chemo battle, surgery battle, like those days can be really, really tough days. But I do want to inspire hope that with time, most people like can find themselves in a much, much stronger and, you know, better, better position. Absolutely. Yes. Well, is there anything else you want to share with any, with all the listeners? Um, let's see. You'll have to let us know when your ranch starts up. I will. (laughs) I will. Yeah. You'll be the first to know. (laughs) Um, no, I just really appreciate you having me on to talk. And I feel like this is really the first time I've really been able to tell my full story. So I I hope that it just helps somebody else. And if it does, then 
I've accomplished my goal. It will, it will. And I think the fact that you're such a young and positive, but real survivor, I just think that your story will definitely help others. So thank you, you, Casey. Of course, thank you so much. Now we can go eat our waffle. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Brunch time. (laughs) Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. give a special thanks to Nicholas Lay for producing my podcast, DJ Breast Cancer. And a shout out to Whirligig Photography for their amazing content for my website. And the band Roustabout for sharing their song with me, Pariah. A special thanks goes out to all of you listeners. Please leave a review on iTunes and let me know any feedback or any future stories. More information can be found on my website, www.djbreastcancer.org.